Hello, up to numbers 24. When Balaam saw that it pleased Yahweh to bless Israel, he didn't go, as the other times, to use divination, but he set his face toward the wilderness. Balaam lifted up his eyes, and he saw Israel dwelling according to their tribes, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. He took up his parable and said, Balaam the son of Beor says, The man whose eyes are open says, He says, Who hears the words of God, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down and having his eyes opened? How good are your tents, Jacob, and your dwellings, Israel? As valleys they are spread out, as gardens by the riverside, as aloes which Yahweh has planted, as cedar trees beside the waters. Water, sh water shall flow from his buckets, his seed shall be in many waters, his king shall be greater than Agag, his kingdom shall be exalted. God brings him out of Egypt, he has as it were the strength of the wild ox, he shall consume the nations, his adversaries, shall break their bones in pieces, and pierce them with his arrows. He couched, he lay down as a lion, as a lioness, who shall rouse him? Everyone who blesses you is blessed. Everyone who curses you is cursed. Balak's anger burned against Balaam, and he struck his hands together. Balak said to Balaam, I have called you to curse my enemies, and behold, you have altogether blessed them these three times. Therefore flee to your place now. I thought to promote you to great honour, but behold, Yahweh has kept you back from honour. Balaam said to Balak, Didn't I also tell your messengers whom you sent to me, saying, If Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I can't go beyond Yahweh's words to do either good or bad from my own mind. I will say what Yahweh says. Now behold, I go to my people. Come, I will inform you what this people shall do to your people in the latter days. He took up his parable and said, Balaam the son of Beor says, the man whose eyes are open says, he says who hears the words of God, knows the knowledge of the Most High, and who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down and having his eyes opened. I see him, but not now. I see him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob, a scepter will rise out of Israel, and shall strike through the corners of Moab, and crush all the sons of Sheph. Edom shall be a possession, Seir his enemy also shall be a possession, while Israel does valiantly. Out of Jacob shall one have dominion, and shall destroy the remnant from the city. He looked at Amalek, and took up his parable, and said, Amalek was the first of the nations, but his latter end shall come to destruction. He looked at the Kenite, and he took up his parable and said, Your dwelling place is strong, your nest is set in the rock. Nevertheless, Cain shall be wasted until Asher carries you away captive. He took up his parable and said, Alas, who shall live when God does this? But ships shall come from the coast of Kittim, they shall afflict Ashur, and shall affect Eber. He shall also come to destruction. Balaam rose up, and went, and returned to his place. 
and Balak also went his way. Well, this is Balaam that we've been talking about the last few chapters. And here he gives prophecies number three, four, five, six, and seven. In these two chapters, he gives seven little prophecies. And most of them are about Israel, but the last few are about the Amalekites and the Kenites and about another group. And um, so it's all very interesting. The first interesting point is that the Holy Spirit comes on Balaam. <laughs> because, particularly in some churches, they think that only the Holy Spirit will only come on people who are good people, or you know, people who are saved, or people who are walking with the Lord. But here, we've got an evil, malicious fellow, Balaam, and the Holy Spirit comes upon him and does his work. Later on in the book of Judges, we're going to get to Samson, who's, who's the Lord's person, but he's a very kind of complicated person that doesn't follow the Lord properly, and he's full of the Holy Spirit. And we've got another example later in the Bible, King Saul, the Holy Spirit comes on him and he prophesies. We have all these examples, but this one of Balaam is probably the best, where the Holy Spirit comes upon just people that are not good people, but uses them. And then... He prophesies, and he prophesies the most remarkable things. In the last chapter, I talked about how one of his prophecies was messianic, but in this chapter, his prophecy number four is the—it's probably one of the key standout messianic prophecies um, that are in the whole Bible. And he said that out of um, you know, basically, the scepter was going to rise um, out of Judah and was going to strike through the corners of Moab, and um, it talks about this scepter, this star rising out of Judah that's going to basically conquer. Now, I guess when Balak, King Balak heard this, he thought, oh no, because <laughs> he's thinking right then and there. He's thinking, wow, the Moabites are going to be destroyed. And that is what happened, because this prophecy was fulfilled in the short term by King David, who came along who did rise from the tribe of Judah, and he was a kind of a, a short-term picture of who the Messiah was going to be like, and David conquered the Moabites completely. So it was fulfilled in a shorter-term way, but in the longer-term way, it was fulfilled in the ultimate picture of the Messiah, who, you know, he, he a star rose out of Judah, a scepter that would rule the nations, not just Moab, but all nations, and even Jewish people who... Um, you know, they don't think Jesus is the Messiah, uh, which, you know, because they don't believe in the New Testament. But even Jewish people, they declare that this is a messianic prophecy. It's a prophecy about the coming Messiah. Their problem is they just haven't recognized that the Messiah was Jesus. And so Jesus has risen, you know, he rose out of the tribe of Judah, just like David. And, um, you know, Jesus, he, um, he's conquered the nations. Like he's the king of kings. He's the Lord of the lords. Not only did he conquer in his death and his resurrection, but the gospel is now in a process of actually physically dominating and conquering and overcoming nations. And it's a long process, but it's a process that's been, you know, underway. And historians, they've often, as an example, they've often um, tried to, to work out how did Christianity overtake the Roman Empire? Because it's just one of those things that doesn't make sense on its own. But it overtook the Roman Empire because the gospel of Christ, the king of all, 
you know, his message, it, it basically undermined the Roman Empire. You know, the Romans were doing things like infanticide. They were throwing their, um, throwing their babies away that they didn't want. If it was a baby girl, a lot of those baby girls were thrown away. And, but Christians would go and get those little babies and, and save them because they thought every life was precious. And so even though Christians weren't, you know, standing up and they weren't demanding their rights and they weren't involved in the political process, they weren't doing all these things, but they were just subtly undermining the values of the Roman Empire by bringing along Christian values. And so now, you, you try to throw a baby away now, <laughs> and the uproar, not just from Christians, the uproar from everyone. Well, see, the Roman Empire changed. It took hundreds of years. But in the end, godly values you know, overtook Roman values, and the Roman Empire became Christian. But it's been happening all through the whole world. So now that you can't go hardly anywhere where people don't expect to be treated properly. Christianity has changed the way people think. So the Lord, you know, it's this scepter that rises and it's now conquering the nations. It's not an instant process. The death of Christ was, was a quick process. But this process of conquering, it's a lengthy process and we're in the middle of it. And here it is prophesied in Numbers 24. So it's all about Jesus Christ. So I guess the two things we can take away from this chapter is number one, it's, it's amazing to me how someone who's a false prophet can be can give true prophecies. So if you think about Balaam, he's a false prophet not because the things he said were false, but because he himself was, was not a follower of Christ and he was motivated by evil things. So um, the Bible talks about you know, false teachers, false prophets. A false, a false servant isn't necessarily someone who says the wrong thing, but it's someone that's motivated by the wrong thing. So that's why you can have false teachers in the church. They're people who are really serving themselves, even though they may be saying the right things. Well, Balaam's an example of this, and it just demonstrates to us that we must have our heart in the right place. But the other thing is the astounding nature of this Messianic prophecy which was so long ago. It was like about 1,400 years before Jesus. And um, just amazing uh, how it has been fulfilled. Heavenly Father, I ask that we would be people with a pure heart. I pray that you'd help us to speak the words of Christ truthfully, but also to have a truthful heart that goes along with it. Help us to be your genuine and sincere servants. And Lord, I thank you for the word of prophecy that, that shows us Jesus Christ. And I pray that Jesus Christ would be revealed more and more to our hearts and through us to the hearts of others each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen.